A lot of information in this section. A lot of stuff that uh, the church always needs to be very alert to. A lot of stuff that in one sense we don't want to hear because it's very difficult. Uh, It forces you to be evaluating people and circumstances and things around you. You have to be willing to investigate because by the nature of what's being identified here in terms of false prophets, you have to recognize that on the outside, just like the candy wrapper, they look the same. They actually, in some cases, if I would do it right, I could have wrapped one of these up in dirty Kleenex and wrapped the other one up in fancy ribbon. Sometimes what looks fancy on the outside is really the deceptive one, and there's nothing useful on the inside. And you've got all kinds of analogies that you've got to try and become alert to. And so one of the difficulties that you have Particularly as you study Second Peter, as we think about, uh, we're, we're focusing on the, the death of Christ eventually on Good Friday and Easter Sunday, and we think about that work of God for us, there are many forces around your life even now attempting to destroy you, destroy your children. And they have little flashy signs and wrapped up papers, and they look good on the outside. And for a moment, they appear to gratify they seem to reward the person that pursues them. In other words, in that moment, they think they're going to be happy and contented and satisfied until the reality of what is inside exposes itself and finally they understand that there is as much life and nutrition and benefit in that thing as chewing on a Kleenex would be. And you begin to understand one of the challenges is that you have to learn to recognize what's on the inside before you sometimes get to open it up. Or you have to have the courage to walk away from a situation when you realize, I opened this thing up and there is nothing in it. I need to drop it and move on to a place and a person and a situation that is beneficial. And that always becomes the challenge because recognizing false witnesses or false prophets, excuse me, is always a difficult task. Now, you have to understand the word prophet normally identifies someone who is speaking for God. They don't just prophesy like speak about the future all the time. They will say things like, this is what God wants. This is what God has said. They will speak, become spokespersons for the Lord. And so they present themselves in such a way as having that truth, that insight, or whatever else you want to say. Normally, this is identified as a gift in the church, and those who have true prophetic gifts frequently also not only contribute with proclaiming the will and the work of God, but will proclaim sometimes a message and a word that God is giving to the immediate moment. And so your job as the church, your job as a Christian, is to be extremely discerning, very alert to learn to recognize them, because what you begin to understand is these forces, as they undermine you, will look like they're feeding you until that point when you finally are starving to death, trying to figure out. The reason you know that he was eating Kleenex and it had no value in it is because it looked like Kleenex, okay? You understand the concept. False prophets sometimes sprinkle sugar on the Kleenex, press it into something that would look like a piece of candy, mix it with something else, And so you begin to chew it, and you don't even know you're dying until in some cases it's too late. And that becomes the greater challenge. 
And so as we go into this section, you have to understand part of the process that Peter is dealing with. Peter is trying to address and make people alert that you have to constantly be aware of the forces that are out there trying to destroy you and your family. The forces that are out there trying to undermine, the forces that disguise themselves as prophets of wisdom, light, and truth. And you begin to look at this characteristics and you begin to identify them. There's just a bunch of them that you have to be alert to. And you uh, look at the first one identified as bold and arrogant. You see it down there. One of the characteristics of the person who is a false prophet is they present themselves frequently with great confidence. There's a boldness about what they're... They are assured that what they're telling you is correct. They are confident in it, okay? Even to the point of that next word, which you pick up there, which that arrogant, that kind of pride issue that you pick up there, is part of the characteristic also. And that becomes a little bit of the flavor that what makes you attracted to them. They seem to know what they're talking about. They seem to be very confident. They seem to be very assured, right? One of the reasons I keep telling you, bring your Bible to church, is you have no assurance that the words I speak are correct unless you measure them against the word. It's your responsibility. It will not do you any good to say, Pastor Bruce said. It simply will not get you into heaven saying, I listened to what Pastor Bruce said and he was all wrong or he led me down the wrong path. That's not going to be an excuse that God says, oh, you are listening to Bruce. Now I understand you can come into heaven. It's not going to work. All right? So whether it's me or some other individual or some pastor or teacher or friend or neighbor or acquaintance or whatever the case might be, you are always required to measure it against God's word. And you can't just simply say, it appeals to me. I like the way he says it. I like that person. I like the smoothness and the sound, etc., etc. Because so many times you have to understand, by the time you recognize here, there are people who are very alert to what stirs you. I was reading a book this week, and it said, uh, we got to stop creating and making services built around what men like, what people want. And instead, we've got to build services around what God wants. Isn't that a different thought? It doesn't ask you what music you like. It doesn't ask you what you think should be included. It doesn't ask you, it says, let's instead start asking, what does God want from us in this service today? Have you repented today? Have you done anything that makes God pleased? I uh, read the same book, and the same thing they asked me was this question. It says, do you have and want God because of what he can do for you? You want God because of what he can do for you. Or do you want God himself? Do you want intimacy with God himself? Or do you simply want what he seems like he can do for you? Almost like a friend. I like you as my friend because I can use your stuff. I like you as my friend because it makes me look good when I'm around you. I like you as my friend. You hear the selfishness of it? You hear that kind of attitude that none of you would certainly appreciate in a friend. But you have to understand, so many times we get busy. I like you because of this, or I like what you can do for me. And that challenge of wouldn't you, or not wouldn't you, don't you recognize the difference between the intimacy with the Lord and just intimacy with what you like? You can actually have yourself choosing and picking and selecting everything under the sun 
because you're, you're always operating on your opinion, what you think, what you feel, what you want, rather than what does God want from you this morning? What would you say if someone said, what does God want from you this morning? Have you even asked the question? And you start to go, wow, Lord, I'm challenged by that. God says, I want to hold you today. I want to have an intimacy with you today. I don't want you to worry about what song wasn't or wasn't sung or what the pastor is saying right now. I want an intimacy with you so that you know I held you today. Obviously not just today, but I want you to understand there is an intimacy that God is seeking to have with you. It isn't just accumulating a bunch of facts or information or saying, well, I believe enough so I can get saved. God wants to have this intimacy with you because you come with a whole lot of different things going on in your life like I do in mine. A whole lot of fears and concerns and, and, and difficulties and uncertainties and insecurities. And God says, I need to put my arms around you and speak to your need today. I need to have a relationship with you that is real, not just simply I mouthed some words, we sang some songs, I listened to the pastor, and now we go home. And so many times that's what church is to people, an accumulation of I put in this amount of time and therefore I have done what I had to do. And I go, it's a little bit like looking at your wife and saying, well, we, we live together, but you have no communication. You have no understanding. You have no intimacy. You have nothing going on there that really is touching and connecting with the two of you. So many times you hear people say, well, we've just lost connection with one another. We live in the same house, but we have no intimacy in terms of understanding and really communicating with one another. What's one of the big reasons people get divorced? Lack of communication. Uh, it isn't a lack of proximity in most cases. They're around one another, but there's nothing connecting. And I look at you, is it possible to sit in a church service and never once connect with God or the Spirit? Yes. Is it possible to sit repeatedly in church services and never once really connect with God? Yes. Is it possible to spend weeks and months having never really connected with the Lord? Yes. That becomes an unbelievably significant challenge then. And so now in this point, you've got to understand, into this kind of vacuum of your lack of connecting with God, somebody walks, just like the old uh, typical guy that can pick it up in a girl. Uh, I, I, I try and help girls in my class understand this. I said, uh, guys can pick up on wounded girls. They see it. It kind of smells. It has a flavor all its own. This poor wounded girl, insecure, difficulty with family, whatever it is. And they come in and they smooth talk their way into that girl's life presenting themselves in such a way that she becomes convinced this is their rescuer. This person really understands them. This person really listens to them. I whisper to the guys, and all the girls are listening, I say to them, hey guys, you want to learn how to manipulate a girl? Listen to them. Girls can't resist that. He listened to me. He cares about me. And all the girls, of course, are going, uh, obviously I'm hoping they're picking up on it, because obviously, in the same way a girl can be deceived by what looks like something on the outside, and they can chew on the Kleenex for days and weeks and months. Haven't you seen people in those kind of relationships? 
What use is this man or person really in his or her life and relationship? It's about the equivalent of chewing on Kleenex. I thought it was good. I thought it was useful. But I get no real change. There's no life to it. It doesn't bring God into my life. It doesn't make me alive in Christ. It doesn't make me a better human being. It doesn't make me more worthwhile in the community. It instead, I chew and I chew and I chew and I get nothing and I'm slowly dying and I'm watching my relationships break off. My parents not listen to me. My friends not understand me. All around me is death and it's because I'm chewing on Kleenex in the middle of a relationship that's bringing me absolutely nothing. And I go, that's what God is trying to stop. That's why he's looking at you going, i got to try and help you, bride of Christ, how to recognize the false men that are out there. How do you tell who they are? Now, if you think of this for a moment as a guy-girl relationship, and someone is trying to say to you, let me explain to you what guys who are hustling you, guys who are pursuing you, will sound and look like and deceive you with so that you sell yourself out to them and later on find out there is about as much benefit to you as eating Kleenex for your life. Let me tell you what they're like. Now, you put that in context. Watch what becomes a- begins to happen. Bold and arrogant. These guys are confident. They've got you figured out. They know what makes you tick. They see your woundedness. They step into your woundedness. And they're confident that if they minister or respond to your woundedness, you're going to be suckered into them. Watch what he does next. Uh, They go on and says, um, these men blaspheme in matters they don't understand. They belittle things, parents, God, church, purity, sexuality, everything you can possibly imagine, only they blaspheme against it with a smoothness and a sophistication, right? Are you really going to let that, you you know, are you going to be that hung up? Are you really limited? You understand how that sounds when some young girl is listening to some guy's smooth talker? How does it sound? What does it take to deceive your son or your daughter? What does it take to actually fool them? Are you really so committed to your sexual purity? Nobody does that today, only it doesn't sound with that bluntness. It's always smoother. It's always gentler. It has that flavor of sounding logical, reasonable, and correct. And here's this poor child who, whatever reason, is wounded and everything else, and they're vulnerable at that point. Now watch what it goes on to say. Um, it, uh, finishes off uh, the next thought. They're like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, Born only to be caught and destroyed like beasts, they will perish. That's from God's perspective. How many times have you been in a situation where a dad looks at something or a mother looks at something and they go, I can't believe my kid can't see through this. What's wrong with this? Try to understand that's what God looks at when he looks at you. I can't believe my child, right? You're the child now. Here's God looking at you going, Bruce, why can't you see that? Why can't you see the uselessness of that? Why can't you recognize you're chewing on Kleenex? Why can't you recognize that's going to bring you nothing but heartbreak or sorrow or a waste of energy or just simply a slow and tedious death? Why can't you see it? It's so visible to you, right? It's like the adult or the parent looking in the same thing they feel toward their children sometimes. 
Why can't you see through the bully at school? Why can't you see through those manipulative girls that you hang around with? Why can't you see that they really don't like you? Why can't you recognize that they're really not your friends? And so you take your human mind and you're able to look at your child or a friend's life and you say, how come you can't see what this guy really is? And it's the same thing God feels toward you. And so here's God parenting you, right? I'm going to teach you like a parent teaches their son or daughter. Honey, watch out because those guys out there, they appear so confident. They swagger in their life and their attitude. They have a degree of arrogance about them. They look like they know what they're all about. And yet, nevertheless, God is going to take them out. God is going to wipe them down. He is going to knock them where they belong. And so you got this kind of flavor that you're supposed to be recognizing in terms of your own deceptiveness. You're not any smarter at 20, 30, 40, or 50 than you were sometimes at the age of 12, 15, or 20. You understand? You can be suckered in by the same smooth talk. You can be suckered in by the same pretty packaging. You can be suckered in by a set of words, even though everybody else can see the words have no weight to them, the words have no, words have no power to them, the words have no reality to them. Everyone else can see it, but you're blinded to it. And that's why false prophets can come into the church, destroy people in the church, create churches of their own, and now they even have words for some of these things. I mean, we can call them liberal churches. You can call them the emerging church, which is a big word that's coming out there, where people are creating their own doctrines, their own God, and everything else like that. I read an article in the paper that said, people in America are becoming fluid in their religion. What does fluid in their religion mean? Wishy-washy, pursuing whatever appeals to them, longing after what tickles their ears, finding a religion and a God that will put some kind of stamp of approval on whatever particular bad attitude or, or behavior they want. And that's what's happening in American culture. And so you begin to understand the false prophets are out there ready to sell you something that you're willing to buy. And so here's that challenge, right? It's the same heart. If you can just feel the heart of a parent, a father and a mother longing to rescue their child, dying in love so much with this kid, wanting them to be successful, then you understand this passage, these passages in Peter. Watch out what else they do. They'll be paid back the harm, for the harm they've done. Just so you know, God's going to take them out. They can't keep doing it. But you may be one of the casualties, right? This guy is going to hurt this and this and this and this and this and this and this girl because they're too stupid to recognize a false guy when they see him. One day the price will be paid over here in his life. But you have to understand that's part of the warning process that he's going through. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. Right in front of you. I don't care what you think. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I do what I want to do. They seem so bold and, and so brash and... That's so romantic. I find that so appealing. It's just like they don't really care what other people think of them. They would never let the church hinder them. You know, churches are filled with hypocrites anyway. And so bold and so arrogant, they do it right out in the broad daylight, right out in front of the world, without any pang of conscience, without any limitation, they will do it right in front of you and not even hesitate. 
And that's the thing that you begin to understand. It goes on. Their blots and blemishes, we call them blots and blemishes, they're like zits reveling in their pleasure. You know, you ever seen these commercials where zits come alive? You just see, I'm so proud of being a zit. That's what they are. God sees them for what they are. You're supposed to see them for what they are. But what are they? They're reveling in who and what they are. They are nothing but this pussy, you know, infiltrated, uh, bacteria-filled piece of infection. And they're taking your daughter's life. And they are taking your son's life. And they're taking your life. And yet they're bold and brash in what they do. So it goes on. Uh, It says, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. They're in your meals. They're sitting next to you. They're sometimes your brother and sister-in-law. They're sometimes your nephew and niece. They're sometimes your own son or daughter. I will come and live any way I want, and I expect you to still treat me like a good son or daughter. They will revel right in front of you with their immorality. They will drag it into your house, get upset with you when you say you're not dragging your immorality in my house, and you will feel feel like the one confronted. Isn't that what the world is filled with now? A bunch of people that are trying to go, oh, I don't know what to do. My son and my daughter are doing these wicked things. And we get all caught up trying to figure out how to bring this garbage into our life and compensate for this zit that's living in my home. You have to understand, this is how powerful it gets. We're not talking about outside the church. False prophets are in the framework of the church many times. And that becomes the real challenge for us. So it finishes off, or it goes on. It says, their eyes are full of adultery. They never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts. They are well practiced in what they do. If the line didn't work, they practice it again. In their greed, it just means that they're, they're constantly manipulating. I had someone come knocking at the door of my house one night and said, Hi, I live over two blocks down the road. My grandfather's been in a serious car accident and for some reason my card won't work, and I need 20 bucks. Two o'clock in the morning. And he looks at you, he says, I, listen, I gave me the address, gave me all this stuff, and he said, if you could just give me 20 bucks or something, I need enough gas just to get to Rockford. Well, it's two o'clock in the morning. How can you be so insensitive as to say no? It sounds so simple and regimented, right? So, all right, here, all right. Uh, he said, I'll, I'll bring the money back, honest. He said, I would, I would never be bothering you this time of the morning if I didn't do it. And then uh, I go and have breakfast with one of, one of my friends who lives about six or eight blocks away. He said, guess what? He said, what? He said, the other day some guy came knocking to the door. I go, yeah, what do you want? He came to the door and he said he can't get any money anymore. I've got to go to Rockford because it's great. Oh, great. How easy is it to be deceived? Easy. How easy is it to fall for the same old, same old? Easy, right? Although after you you get done, you think of all the questions you should have asked. After you get done, right, why didn't I ask him for a CS driver's license? Why didn't I ask for uh, this? You know, a hundred things I could have asked him for, you know, that all he would have had to do is to demonstrate, and yet at that moment it didn't come, right? Isn't that how deception works? You, you talk to people after they've been eating toilet paper and are just Kleenex for a while, and they go, my life 
is so vain and empty. I, I get no nutrition and nourishment. I can't figure out what's wrong. And they finally break up with this guy or this girl. They finally walk down a different path. And the first thing they do is start going like this. Why didn't I just ask this? Why didn't I see this? And they start smacking themselves in the forehead because for the first time it was so visible and so clear and so simple. Why didn't I see it for what it was? And the answer is because you want to trust people. Because there's a lot of things. you got some kind of a good heart. I mean, there's a hundred reasons why you get caught in it. But God is looking at you saying, you can't let your good heart destroy you. You can't let someone smooth talk, talk you into giving or walking away from the things that you know are true. It goes, they have left the straight way. They've wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, which is willingness to sell themselves out for profit and benefit. But uh, even Balaam was rebuked by, for his wrongdoing by his donkey, warning him that he was goofy. The Lord speaks even through this uh, situation with Balaam. Then 17, these men are springs without water. They're like chewing Kleenex. They look really good. They sound really good. They may even have sugar sprinkled on the, on the Kleenex. But ultimately, they're like a spring, a fountain, where there's no water for refreshing. I'm not getting anything out of this relationship. I sit there after I've given them my money, and the only thing I have is an empty wallet. And I go, what benefit did I get? The answer is, ha, ha, you're dumb. So I get the benefit, if nothing else, of realizing how stupid I was to listen to something like that at 2 o'clock in the morning. And so you begin to understand the same thing with these. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they, are mouth, they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to what? Lustful desires of your sinful human nature. What triggers you? They know you. They've got you figured out. They know what you want, right? I'm trying to warn the girls, don't be manipulated by a guy who listens to you. Don't be manipulated by a guy who says, I love you. You have no idea what love means in today's culture. I try and consistently say, listen, the word love means nothing. For so many people, the word love means I'll love you until someone nicer or prettier comes along. For somebody else, I love you has nothing to do with commitment, conviction, the power of the Holy Spirit, or life of God, or a will and a desire to serve and work with you the rest of your life no matter what. I said, you can't understand. Just because you finally heard someone say, I love you, don't be suckered in by the words because they can be spit out by anybody at any time. And so the challenge goes, they're empty, boastful words, by appealing to the lustful desires of the sinful nature, they entice, they drag, they pull, even the people who are escaping. You have to understand. So it's kind of like those who are just starting to get away from that kind of lifestyle, that you know, they, these people come along and pull them back into it. They just pull them back into that situation. And it says, they promise them freedom. And the word freedom here is, listen, if you get yourself involved in this sexuality, you're going to be really be free. Then you can, you can kind of live any way you want to live because this really means freedom. They promise them freedom, and instead, what do they get? Enslavement to disease, enslavement emotionally, enslavement to bad relationships, enslavement to low self-esteem, enslavement to self-destructive tendencies. But I thought if I sold myself off into this situation with this person or into this philosophy or into this thing that I would really be free. I could finally live the way I want to live. 
and you begin to understand, here's God going, it doesn't pay back that way. It is an empty wrapper. It is something that looks good but has no benefit to you whatsoever. They promise freedom while they themselves are nothing more than slaves of depravity. For a man's a slave to whatever he is allowed, I'm going to add a word there, to master him. Whatever you've given yourself over to, you're so simply enslaved to it. And so you begin to recognize what's going on there. If they escape the corruption of the world by not knowing our Lord, by, excuse me, by knowing our Lord and Savior, and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. This is a tough little verse. You get those people, you get them saved, right? You get that child. I, I've watched them. You know, we were talking about that one girl in my class. One girl in my class, right? She, she said, I, God told me I was supposed to break up with my boyfriend. My mother told me I'm supposed to break up with my boyfriend. I broke up with my boyfriend. A week and a half later, anyone want to guess? She's enslaved, isn't she? She doesn't even know how it happened. And she listens to me, and I sound like, you know, a hammer or a, an empty gong because she doesn't want to hear it. And now, two more weeks later, three more weeks later, here she is in the front row of my classroom crying. What's going on? Anyone want to guess? Anyone want to guess? She's been chewing on Kleenex. The relationship has the benefits in her life of chewing on Kleenex. It is nothing but self-destructive, and she's falling apart because she's dying. She sold herself out into this thing, turned her back on God, believed the words of the false prophet, and entered into this thing, and now she can't understand why everything around her is so bad. And she's sincere. You want to wrap your arms around her and say, I'm so sorry that you've done this to yourself. On the other hand, you want to kind of smack her and say, why don't you wake up? And you can feel that kind of tension. You felt it certainly as parents. You felt it in terms of your life. Here's God going, my child, I have whispered in your ear, walk away, turn away. And the same thing with what tickles your ears philosophically. Where do you play the game? Where are you drawing your lines? What area in politics or, or, or life or circumstance or relationship are you chewing on Kleenex? Where have you kind of sold yourself out? Where's your point of sensual manipulation? Maybe you aren't manipulated through dating and sexuality like a young girl might be in my class, but maybe you're manipulated by fame and recognition and wealth and that little tickling by money and all the things that can come along with that. Maybe you're manipulated by something else that makes people think, well, you're a big shot or you're important by the kind of car or something else you drive. All the different things that manipulate us sensually. Essentially, it just seems it makes me feel good. It makes me feel special. It makes me feel important. I like the way this thing makes me feel. And along comes the demonic, along comes the world, along comes the false prophet, along comes the guy or the girl, whispers it in your ear, and you fall for it because you haven't secured yourself the way you need to in this text that he's trying to let us know and understand. It says, it would have been better if they had not known the way of righteousness than to have known it. They knew it. They felt it. They had experienced the power of God, and they went like this. No, thank you, and they walk away. And it says their second condition is far worse than their first. Remember the passage that talks about uh, in deliverance ministry, there was a man possessed by a demon, and they drive the demon out, and uh, nothing replaces it. And so the man feels an emptiness. He actually misses his demon. And the house is swept clean, it says in the little analogy in the, in the story there. The house is swept clean, swept clean, and that's his life. And this thing is swept clean. 
And, uh, and so it's just sitting there waiting for something. And the demon that he was driven out wanders, it says, around looking for a place to live and dwell. And finally, when it can't find any other place, it returns back to that same individual, now dragging with it seven more demons, wor- or seven demons worse than itself. And Christ ends it with, and the condition of that man in the second state is far worse than it was in the first state. Do you understand? You only go, get so many chances to turn. Where pretty soon you're so singed, you're so burned, you're so hardened, you just won't come back around. And I mean, I don't know if it's one or 101 turns, but you've got to understand, there's some really powerful warnings here. Don't play games when God gives you this warning. I'm not sure what's going on in that little girl's heart in my class, but I can see the pain, I can see the woundedness, I can see the scarring that's taking place, I can see all those things, and when you get scarred as a 16-year-old, you end up with scars in your life. And in some cases, she's scarred not only by the guy who's manipulating her, she's scarred because she's rebellious to her parents, she's scarring herself because her own religion teacher, who she at least at one point in time respected and honored, and you know, sharing with her God's word, was telling her, don't do this, you're making the right decision, hang in there. And then you add to the same thing, the Spirit of God quickened it personally in her life. And still she walked into it. And you've got to understand, if you keep scarring this, this heart, pretty soon that heart doesn't function like it's supposed to. It gets so wounded and so destroyed and so infected, it has trouble loving. It has trouble discerning. And unless the Spirit of God comes in and restores and heals it, unless the Spirit of God is given that opportunity to bring back what Satan and compromise and all the things have done to you, you end up with this hardened, hardened and bitter, hurting heart. And you end up you know, walking through the rest of your life sometimes with this woundedness, which maybe some of us carry. How many times has the Spirit said, Harmon, you're wounded. Bruce, you've got to deal with this area of your life. You've got this wounded spot. And they go, don't touch it. It's tender. He says, I have to touch it. I will not let it stay wounded. I will not let that scar stay there. I'm going to take that pain away. But it's going to require repentance. It's going to require confession. And even if it's something that's 1 or 2 or 25 or 50 years old, and you get old like me, he goes, you're going to have to lay it down. You keep holding on to it, you don't lay it down. You look at this little girl and say, honey, repent. Dear God, when I was 16 years old, I sold myself off to somebody who did not deserve what I gave them. And I believed the lie. I don't want to walk that place anymore. And down comes the healing of the Spirit. But until that confession takes place, it's like you've got this wall in place built up against all these people and forces and the Spirit of God in your life. And you don't get the healing that God's trying to pour into your life. And so it finishes off now and then finishes with that beautiful little section that we've talked about before. Like the, a dog returning to its vomit and a sow being washed going back to wallowing in the mud. That's what a person is like. How many times have you gone back and wallowed? How many times have I? You understand? Here's this poor child. She doesn't even know this proverb. I'm standing back there with the discernment of the Spirit going, my child, why, after God cleaned you, why would you go back and wallow in the mud like that? Why, after spewing this man out of your mouth and your life, why, out of, uh, after speaking such a powerfully appropriate righteous testimony, would you go back and lick that back up, that vomit, that puke, that wretch that God said spew out of your mouth? 
I don't want it back in your life. And instead you walk right back into the relationship and you pull that garbage back into your life and then you wonder why you're sick and why you're suffering. And that's the challenge that God offers to us. He says, I don't want you to be like that dog. I don't want you to be like the pig. I want you to walk in a different path. And that's the challenge. And you felt it. If you've ever had to raise children or if you've lived through it in your own life, you know the both end of it. You know the ability you have to not hear what God's saying. You know the ability you have to know the truth and still walk in the other direction. You know the ability to having God say, this is wrong, you confess it, and you still walk back into the same garbage. And God now is not saying it to hurt you any more than if I had a child who had been walking back and licking up the same vomit, what would I do with this child? Just pick this girl in my class. Pastor Harmon, I can't believe how stupid I've been. Come here. God loves you, child. What, am I going to hold back God's love? Am I going to try and say, there's no hope for you? No, God's desire is to rescue this girl. Not just to rescue her, but to heal this girl. It is not within the framework of God's joy to now punish her for the stupid things she's done, but instead to restore what Satan and stupidity and all that stuff has taken from her. And so that's the ministry. Be alert to false prophets. Be aware of who they are. Recognize them in your life. Recognize them around them in your child's life. Be alert to how to test and watch for them. Be alert you can't be attracted by the outside wrapper. Be alert that you can't trust your senses, right? You can't trust your senses because your senses are too easy to deceive. Instead, trust the word. Trust those people who are not personally involved. If I ask you, is this good or bad for me, and you're not personally involved, it doesn't take you long to figure it out. It says, trust in those things so that you are not deceived, so that you don't get rescued or fail to be rescued when God's trying to rescue you. And so the challenge, here's Peter going, I don't want to lose any one of you. Just kind of picture Peter as dad going, how many children are you willing to sacrifice, Peter? Picture, you know, Peter speaking for God going, how many people do you want to lose? You pick your son or daughter. Go ahead. Pick one. Satan, you can have this daughter. Satan, you can have this son. Would you ever whisper that? You'd have to be awfully wicked to ever even think in those terms. I'll tell you what my father's heart is. You can't have any of my kids. And I'll take you out as best I can, and I'll fight to my death for my kid, right? And if I, as a miserable, sinful man, can have that same heart, think of what your father feels when it comes to you. You understand? When he looks upon you and sees you walking down those paths. So as God gives you the opportunity, learn to be alert, learn to recognize, learn to identify so that none of those things that are false deceive you. Pray with me if you would. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would not be distracted by just the worldly stuff. We pray that we wouldn't even be distracted just by how a service is formed up. But instead, Lord, when we come here on Sunday, we want to meet you face to face. We want to hear the tenderness of your love and the truth as you examine our lives and expose us to the things that we need to be alert to. We pray, Lord, for a healing in our lives. We pray, Lord, for a rescue. Uh, for this young girl that I think of in my class every time I, I use her as an example. For other kids in my class. For my own children. For the brothers and sisters here. And the children and the, and the young adults and the people represented here with the struggles in their life. Father, we do not want to lose any of them. Just like you don't want any one of them to be lost. 
And Lord, as we see them walking in paths of stupidity and deceived by the false prophets around them, Lord, we just pray that the scales would fall off their eyes. We pray, Lord, that for the first time the fog would be removed from their mind. We pray, Lord, that wherever there's wickedness and deception and evil in the heart of the other individuals or the situations that our kids or people find themselves in, that would just be brought out into the open, Lord. We pray that it would be exposed. We ask that your spirit would bring it to light and that it would be seen for the wretched, putrid puke that it is. We pray that it would be seen for the filth and mud that it is and that we would not desire in any way to walk back and wallow in it or eat it all over again and bring it back into our lives. We're praying, Lord, for a rescue. We're praying, Lord, for a a battle to be fought. We ask, Lord, that we would enter into prayer for one another. We pray, Lord, that we would first start on our knees as we intercede for our children, our wives, and our husbands. We pray, Lord, that we would understand that you, Lord, fight these battles and that we, Lord, need to be in line with what your will is. And so we're praying, Lord, for rescues for our children, praying rescues for our marriages and rescues for our families, Father. We're asking that in all things we would bring honor to your name. We're asking, Lord, that in all things you would be glorified. And so, Lord, come and work in the hearts of each of the people that are here. Come and purify our minds and hearts and let your spirit minister to us. We ask, Lord, that we would not seek you for what you can do for us, but instead seek you and knowing and knowing you all that you have promised in our relationship, in our intimacy, in our friendship. They will begin to manifest in our life. Come Lord Jesus, and win our hearts and bring us about into that change. We pray it in your name. Amen. As the offering is received, you're encouraged not to put anything in. If you're a guest or a visitor, we just appreciate you being our guest. And if you need some, please feel free to take it out. I will be kind of scooting out of church. You can kind of come down. It's all right. Get started. Ushers, you can go ahead and get started. Um, I'll be scooting out of church today. We've got a senior retreat. And so i got to get home and get changed and get out there. Uh, so pray for, uh, uh, we're going to have some fun weather, I think, wet and soggy and everything else and uh, all the other things. But mostly pray for the kids. I, I want revival. Uh, bigger vision. This is not just we're going to go out and do a little things. I want you to pray for a move, a big move of the Spirit. Um, just allow yourselves to see uh, God's greater call. You know, you send out 150 or 180 kids out of a school, you go, you can send them out, maybe saved, maybe not saved, but if you can send them out empowered and changed with a conviction and a desire to have things change in their lives, uh, that becomes the real focus. So that's what I want you to pray for us. Uh, Pray for health and coughing and colds. You guys know all the stuff that's going around, and we're kind of confined a little bit in uh, some spaces and everything else like that. So just pray for God's hand of mercy and protection and all that also. And uh, God bless you all. We'll go with the song. Go ahead, Mark. Purify my heart. Let me be as gold and precious silver. Purify my heart. Let me be as gold. Pure gold, refiner's fire. My heart's one desire is to be holy, set apart 
For you, Lord, I choose to be holy, set apart for you, my master. I'm ready to do your will. Purify my heart, cleanse me from within. And make me holy, purify my heart, cleanse me from my sin. Deep within, refiner's fire, my heart's one desire is to be holy. Set apart for you, Lord, I choose to be holy. Set apart for you, my master, I'm ready to do your will. 